morning. If you'd like to go ahead and take out your Bibles, we are going to be studying from them quite extensively this morning. If you, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, please raise your hand. We'll make sure that, that one is made available. Uh, I want to go ahead and echo the welcome that Brother Charles uh, put out to our visitors. I hope you truly know that you are our guests, and we, we are greatly honored that you've chosen to be with us. Uh, everything that we speak this morning, we hope to speak in, in, in truth and in spirit. Everything that we speak will come from God's Word and God's Word alone. And if there's any questions that you might have, we do hope that you would bring them to us and, and allow us to discuss them with you. This morning, I want to begin by ask, asking you to ask yourself a question. Are there problems in your life? Do, do you have problems? Do you have problems maybe on a social scale? Maybe you have problems with your, your friendships with, with others, or, or maybe you have problems on an on a employee-type scale. Maybe it's problems at work, problems in, in your everyday life. Or what about with your marriage? Problems in a marital sense. I'm, I'm sure that we can all agree that sometimes marriage has problems with it. Are you ever confused, maybe? Are you ever confused about things pertaining to this life? Or, or possibly do you ever feel like you're just simply lost? And, and maybe even with a sense of despair. Well, if you do, I don't want you to feel like you're alone. If we're being honest with ourselves, I believe all of us would say that at some point in our life, we have had problems along these lines. In fact, I want to share with you the words of a, a very wise old man, a good man, who was experiencing a great deal of struggle and a great deal of suffering, when he said, man who is born of woman is of a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. This man, the name of this man was Job. And these words were recorded for us in Job 14, 1 and 2. We see Job having a great deal of trouble in his life and, and expressing this despair of how life is just full of trouble, full of problems. And I think Job's words, they express the sentiment of many today. Many today have this same feeling that life is just full of problems, but today, however, we have a way out. And that way is Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Let me turn this on. Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself in John 14, 6 said that He is the way. So He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To everything that is truly good, both in this life and the life to come, we see that Jesus Christ is the way. Now I want to discuss with you this morning several areas in which Jesus truly is the way. And we can dig in deeper some other time to these themes in the future. But today, I simply just wish to introduce this idea. Starting with the example that Jesus is the way to a better life. If you would turn your Bibles over to John 10. John chapter 10 and verse 10. Where we read that Jesus is the way to a better life, but He offers a certain type of life. An abundant life. In John 10 verse 10. We see, uh, in fact, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and put this on the board. I forgot I'd done that. John 10.10, 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The abundant life that Jesus offers is not, it's more than just simply a life in the hereafter too. Sometimes we, we, we do understand that this abundant life includes eternal life with Him in heaven. 
But it is, there is more to it than just that. Now, I'm not here this morning to preach to you this doctrine of wealth. If you'll be a Christian, you'll just have a, you know, all the blessings of life will flow in and you'll be rich and you'll have everything you ever desired. I'm not here to preach that to you this morning because we can look around and see there's a lot of poor Christians in the world. We know that's just not the case. But being a Christian, being one that is following Jesus, we do see a a abundant life. If you turn over to Matthew 6, looking in verse 31, we will see this abundant life stems from having a loving Father. In Matthew 6, verse 31, we read, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. We have a loving Father in heaven, a Father who cares for His children, and who is going to make His children provisions that are sufficient enough for our needs. We see this over in Mark 10. If you want to flip over to Mark 10 and look in verse 29 through 30, where we read, So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. We can know that Jesus was talking about this life that we are living right here, right now. Some of the things that we are going to have abundant in this life. I I am confident, I, I have all faith that if I was to go home this afternoon and my house was burnt down, I have several other houses that are available to me. If I was to go home and my family had been taken away from me, I have a family here. Jesus has said that all these things that truly lead to an abundant life, not the ideas of wealth and the material things that are, that are just superficial, but the things that lead to a truly abundant life. The loving friendships that we have, the relationships that we have, the, the basic needs of, of food and water and shelter, God will provide these things to those that follow Him. We see that, Jesus, or that those who receive, these, uh, receive this life are those who are blessed. Some of the happiest people in the world are those who truly commit themselves, not just half-heartedly, but those who truly commit themselves to following Jesus. If we look over in Philippians 4, we are going to see that there were those who were living in some severely uh, adverse circumstances. <clears throat> in Philippians chapter 4, in verse 11 and 13, we read of Paul who's living under house arrest. Not, not in this, this incredibly happy circumstance to be in, but in, uh, in verse 11 we read, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Uh, I know how to be abased, I know how to abound everywhere, and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We look at the suffering that Paul is in. And yet, even in in some of these most adverse circumstances, we said, he's happy. He says, I can be content with this. Why? Because I am following Christ Jesus. Again, in 1 Peter 1. 
1 Peter 1, uh, verses 6 through 8, we, we have just a, yet another example of Christians suffering. These, these, the Christians here are suffering uh, in Asia Minor, in, in present-day Turkey. Uh, in that area, they, they are suffer, suffering great persecution. And uh, Starting in verse 6, And in this, you, in this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though, though it be tested by fire, may be found to, to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. We can have this true happiness, this, this better life, no matter what them circumstances. We might be living and having problems, but we know that through Jesus, we can have this better life. But that's not all. Jesus also offers so much more than just a better life. We also see that Jesus offers the way to forgiveness of sins. In fact, Jesus is the solution to a, to a serious problem. In fact, He's the only solution to a, a very serious problem. So oftentimes, in fact, just, just a few months ago, I believe I, I was reading a report from the Defar- Department of Defense outlining the greatest threats to the United States. These greatest threats to the United States today, and what they had listed at the top of the list was this radicalized Christian movement inside the U.S., now, now we can talk on that to some, to some extent about whether we agree or disagree with their, with their findings. But the fact is, a radicalized Christian group, a radicalized Muslim group, a, a robber, a whatever you might think of, these are not the greatest threats that humanity faces. Death is not the greatest threat. The greatest threat that we face is sin. And the fact that every one of us is a sinner. In Romans 3.23 we read, For all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. That means you have sinned. And I have sinned. Every one of us is considered a sinner. And yet, we need to understand the consequences that go along with that. Not just understand that, okay, there is sin in my life, I'm a sinner. But that this sin has a very real consequence. Oftentimes physical. We can see so many times where, where our choices lead to physical consequences. When they don't align themselves with God. But it's every time spiritual And unless the problem of sin is resolved, unless we have the solution to to this problem, the ultimate consequence is eternity in hell. We are not saved. We we have that separation from God that we, we can be assured of that we will not spend that eternity with Him. But yet Jesus provides the solution. Through Jesus, we we have the, the forgiveness of our sins. If you want to look over in 1 John... Just a few passages over from where we were in 1 Peter. 1 John chapter 4, and starting in verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that He might live, or that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Out of love, God offered Jesus as the propitiation for our sins. His blood, as we read in Ephesians 1.7, if we want to flip over there, Ephesians 1, chapter 7, we read His blood was shed on the cross to provide that, that uh, sacrifice, that propitiation. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Now, around the, world, the country today, many have come together 
to remember this sacrifice. They have chosen this day. uh, And some have called it Easter. Some have went on to call it Resurrection Sunday. But they have chosen this day to say, this is the day that we will remember Christ's sacrifice. But when we realize what that sacrifice did, what that blood did for me that He spent on that cross, this is not something that we just simply choose one day out of the year to remember. This is something that we take with us each and every day. And as we were commanded on the first day of the week, as we did earlier, to remember the sacrifice, to remember the blood that was shed for us. And after His sacrificial death for us, Jesus went on to explain in Luke 24 how the lost could be saved. Over in Luke 24 and verse 46. Luke 24... In verse 46, where we read, Then He said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And then going on to Mark 16, where we, where we see... Going the wrong way. Mark 16, where we say that there was more than just that forgiveness of sin, or just that blood that was shed, but there was one more precursor. Mark 16, 16, that he who believes, excuse me, two more precursors, he who believes and is baptized. It's not just the death on the cross that that gave us this forgiveness of sins. There's an action on our part that he says you're going to have to come to. You're going to have to not just sit back and, and, and wait. For, for this to happen, you're going to have to step up and say, yes, as the Ethiopian eunuch did, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I believe that He came to this earth, and He died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And I'm willing to confess that amongst uh, the whole world. I'm willing to live a life that confesses that, and I'm willing to be obedient to His commandment to be baptized in order to receive that salvation. Yes, Jesus is the way. And through the obedience to Him, we have forgiveness of sins. But to be truly happy, we need more than just forgiveness of sins. We need to be restored. We need to be restored to the close union with God that the sins separated us from. Sin came into our life and separated us, made us lost. And again, in this, Jesus again is the way. For He is the way to God. Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, where we read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, excuse me. Let me start over. I apologize. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now many religions today, they claim to be Christian. They claim to be Christian and are almost totally silent about this new relationship that Jesus provides with God the Father. 
About all they seem to talk about is Jesus and talk about the relationship with Jesus and maybe the Holy Spirit. And this could possibly understand a lack of understanding of what Jesus' purpose was. This purpose to not reconcile people to Him, but reconcile people to God the Father. This is what Jesus claimed to be. Uh, in John, <clears throat> John 14, and verse 6, I don't have this one on the board. Uh, John 14, verse 6, I am the way, what we said earlier. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. This was His purpose when He came to this world was to bring us back into union with the Father. And that's why a relationship with God, that shows the importance of it. One does not truly experience what it means to have eternal life without having this intimate relationship with the Father as well as the Son. This is exactly what John 17, when we turn over there, John 17 verses 2 and 3 is talking about. John 17, verses 2, As you have given Him authority over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as you have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus' purpose was to bring us back into union with God so that we may know eternal life. What is eternal life? Eternal life is God. Eternal life is to know God. This is exactly what Jesus offers us. This is the eternal life Jesus offers and is included with knowing the Father. But the way to a better life, the way to forgiveness of sins, the way to God, these are all wonderful, wonderful blessings. But there is more. Jesus is also the way out of religious confusion. And this is the dilemma that many face today. Consider that there are approximately 41,000 Christian denominations. And consider the plight of one who says, okay, I've been reading my Bible and I want to study, I want to follow Jesus. But there's so much confusion. In fact, there are those that are so confused that they're even repelled by the the multitudes of different churches and conflicting doctrines that don't agree and there's no unity that is being offered up to those that profess to be part of His church. One does not have to be part of this confusion, however. Jesus Himself, He didn't approve of it. In Matthew 12, He he was not a fan of division. He makes it clear in verse 25. And He says, But Jesus knew knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom, kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. He taught the harm of division. He went on to pray in John 17. He prayed that we would be united, not divided. He prayed that we would be united as He is united with God. In verse 20 and 21, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word. That's me and you. Jesus praying for me and you at this point, saying that they may all be one. That they, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. Is it any, is it any surprise at all that Jesus saying back here in John, saying that if anybody's going to believe in us, there's going to have to be unity. And then to come to, to today's age, and there's so much division and so many people that don't believe. Is that any surprise at all? Jesus was predicting this from the beginning. 
In fact, Jesus promised from the beginning not to just build several churches. We can go to Matthew 16, 18, where He promised to build His church. Not His church is, but His church. His one church. And despite the efforts of man and, and Satan, despite all the efforts that they have went through to destroy that church, or otherwise change it, we know that they will not prevail. And even today, as in Acts 2.47, we know that as Christ, when, when someone obeys the word of Jesus, they are added by the Lord Himself to His church. I want to turn over there and, and read that passage, Acts 2. We're just a few pages away. Acts 2, verse 47, praising God and having, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. In His church, we can enjoy this unity which Paul wrote about in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4 through 6 where Paul says, Therefore, there is one body. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. There is one and through Jesus, through, through His Word, through going back to the, the, the sole authority that we, can, that we can have and have confidence in that is from God, His Word, the Bible, we see Jesus as the way out of religious confusion. But finding His church and enjoying this unity is experienced only as we follow Jesus as this way out. So finally, let me point out to you that Jesus is the way to eternal life. Death is inevitable. I, I don't remember who it was that said it, but, but the, the quote, the only thing certain in life is death. The only thing we're guaranteed in life is death. We're not getting out of this life alive. The, 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 these quotes that, that, we, that I have lost the, the authors of, they do show a truth that we can be certain that one day it is appointed for man to die. In fact, that's exactly what Hebrews 9 says to us. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. <clears throat> and it is appointed for man to die once, but after this, the judgment. And after that death, when we are facing that judgment, sometimes we look at death and say, well, that's the end. We have reached the end, but rather death is just the beginning. Death is where everything begins, and our life will ultimately be decided where is going to be spent. Is it going to be spent in eternal damnation? Is it going to be spent in separation from God? In, in this, what is described as, as fire and eternal darkness? And we, we understand these are ways that are used to describe an a intense and, and horrible circumstance. Something that we don't want to have, but I can go ahead and guarantee you, it's going to be so much more worse to be separated from God than just simply to be burning. Separation from God. As I've heard another gospel preacher say, if we miss heaven, we've missed everything. We have missed it all. And at death, death is the door, as Matthew 25 tells us, where we will, we will ultimately find out where it is we are going to spend that eternity. Matthew 25 and verse 46, we read, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. We don't want to be those that are on the left in this, in this, uh, 
in, in Matthew. We want to be those that are righteous, those who are, are going into everlasting life. And Jesus offers that way into eternal life. To die in Jesus is to die in the way of. John 6 talks about this. John chapter 6 and verse 27. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. We need to be looking for this this, uh, seal. We need to be looking for this everlasting life, for this food which does not perish, this food being the Word of God. But we're also continuing on in this idea in John 11. And in verse 25, where we read, Jesus said to them, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. We again just see that Jesus is our only way to eternal life. And in fact, if we want to turn over, uh, and I apologize, I put this on the board, Revelation 14.13. In Revelation 14.13, we read, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. The apostles knew this. The first century Christians knew this. We can know this today. That life does not end at death. And there is going to be two circumstances that, that, that happen in this judgment. And for those who are living in Jesus, who are following Jesus as the way, death leads to eternal life. Death is not the end. So in conclusion, with Jesus as the way... I hope that that this might have sparked your interest in wanting to know more. Wanting to know more about Jesus. This has not been meant to be an over-encompassing and exhaustive study of Jesus as the way, but simply just something to whet our appetites. To desire to know more about this Jesus who is the way. We may try to dig in deeper in the future, but my purpose this morning was simple. For those who, who are Christians, I hope to increase your appreciation of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I hope to, appreci- to increase this appreciation so you will want to serve Him with, with a more greater zeal. And for those who are not Christians, I hope to encourage you to let Jesus be your way to everything that is truly good, both in this life and the life to come. In just a moment, we're going to sing number six from the supplement. My eyes have seen your glory. This song brings us back, it reminds us of this sacrifice that Christ made. And I want you to ask yourself, as we're singing this song, if death comes for me, if I am at that door, where will my eternal salvation lie? Where will my eternal life lie? Will it lie in salvation? Will it lie in in eternal punishment? Because I want to suggest to you this morning that if you have not become a Christian, you are still lost in your sins. You don't have the the shining outlook of the future that a Christian has. In fact, your outlook is bleak, to say the least. To those who have not yet followed Christ, we we can guarantee that through the Bible, Christ says that you will have everlasting punishment. You will have a life separated from God. You will spend the, the continuum of time separated from Him. And I know that you don't wish that. And I don't wish that. No soul here today wishes that. Jesus doesn't wish that. And God doesn't wish that. 
They desire for you to come to Him. They desire for you to, to put away this old life and to turn to a new life, a life dedicated to following them. They desire for you to follow Jesus as the way through believing in Him, through believing that He is the Son of God. They desire for you to confess that belief in Him and to be baptized. You know, I think of the story that was read to me long ago about a pilgrim who was traveling along the way. And his, his knees were buckling. They were having so much trouble walking. And it was because of the load that he carried on his back. And it was just so large that, it, that he, he couldn't go any farther. He had tried all his life to go it alone. But as he came upon this, this hill, and he saw a cross. And, and, and a man was standing there and he said, Sir, what does this cross mean? And he said, On this cross, a man died. He gave his life. So that, so that travelers, sojourners as yourself, can have relief from that bondage of sin, from that pack that is on your back. And he said, how do I receive this relief? What do I have to do to get this, this weight off me that's holding me down? And he said, you have to believe in Him. You have to come to Him, you have to follow Him, and you have to be obedient to His will. Won't you do that this morning? Won't you come to Christ? Won't you be obedient to Him? Won't you lose that, that burden that is on your back and live a new life? A life that we live, learn is, is, is free. The yoke is easy and the burden is light. If that be your will, please come forward now as we stand and sing.